If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. But godliness with contentment is a great gain, for we bought nothing and brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And also, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So we are going to continue in our series um, killing what's killing you. And this is not an original idea. In fact, it's quite an old idea. It comes from a guy named John Owen from the 17th century, a 17th century theologian. And he said, uh, you must be killing sin or sin be killing you. And what he was getting at there is that, man, all of life is combat. And if you're not aware of the, the, da- the spiritual dangers of, of sin, and you're not actively fighting them, they're, if you're not killing them, they're killing you. So it's kill or be killed when it comes to these things. And, and so we've gone through, you know, we started with uh, worry and last week was lust, and we've got uh, four more after today. And t- uh, but today's message is over greed, and all of these have their challenges in communicating. I don't know if you think about my challenges in communicating, but I think about my challenges in communicating. And the, one of the, cha- and the challenge today is multi-layer. Let me show you uh, the challenge that I have, or that we have together. And when nobody thinks they're greedy, I, I, I mean, you, you come tell me if, if I'm wrong, but I, I, you probably haven't sat down with a friend over coffee and just, you know what, I, I'm greedy. I just feel like I'm, I'm a greedy person. Like nobody, nobody, I, nobody, I've never had anyone do that to me. No one's come to me and, and said that. And I don't really, I'm not really aware of greed. Greed's not something I think about a lot. Because, because, and here's why. You have to be rich to be greedy. And I'm not rich. So that's how that works. So we, we, no one thinks they're greedy. Because you have to be rich to be greedy. Hey, and I'm not rich. Rich is somebody else. Rich is somebody else. And so this is such an elusive thing because people have a hard time. Like, when is the moment like I cross over into being rich? You know, I, I got a raise last week. Then now am I rich? Am I not rich yet? And, you know, like, you know, if you're tall, I mean, there's an average height, 5'10", you know, like the, for a man. And then like there's average, you know, you could, you could tell if you're athletic, you know, you could tell certain things. But how do you know when you're, so they ask the question. There's this, there's this company called Gal. They ask lots of questions. They want to get to the bottom of like, okay, who's rich? So they asked people, first group, were lower income. They were anyone who made, makes 35000 or less. Okay, okay, who is rich? You tell us who's rich. And this is what they said. They said, if you make $75,000 a year, you are a rich person. Now, those of you who make $75,000 are like, eh, I don't really feel rich. I don't feel rich. So they're like, okay, okay. We're going to ask the people who make 
just the average income, which is, you know, average household income is 55,000. We're asked them, we're asked the average household, what does it take to be rich? And this is what they said. They said 150,000. Now we're, now we're cooking. Now we're getting up there a little bit. Now I've had, I've talked to people who make $150,000 and, and, and they, they don't feel rich. They don't feel rich. So, so Gallup said, okay, we'll, we'll do something else. We'll, we will, we'll do this. We will just do a survey, a poll among re- subscribers of Money Magazine. So like if you are a subscriber to Money Magazine, when you're not making money, you want to read about money. And so like these, these people are serious. And those who make lots of money, they don't, by the way, they don't measure uh, wealth in terms of income. When the, you know, a lot of us normal folk, we, we, we think about our income, but they think about What's the liquid cash I have? What's my net worth? And so they, they pulled, and the average response was like, in order for you to be rich, you need to have a, a liquid net worth of $5 million. $5 million. So if you, if you have $3 million, like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do if you lose $2 million? Then you only have one, and then you're in the, So you got to have $5 million. Now, that last response, by the way, might be a response if I was in a different part of the world. So did you know the average, not the average household income, but the average uh, median income for the average worker in Missouri is $45,000. It's right in the middle. You're right in the middle. If you make $45,000, you are in the top 1% in the world. Top 1%. Um, We've got churches in Zimbabwe. The average person in Zimbabwe makes $500 a year. $500. So like, what does your 45,000 look like to that? So you're in the top 1%. Even if you're like in the, so it's not the average, the poverty line, the poverty line in, in Missouri is $11,500. If you're at poverty, you are still, you have still more wealth than nearly 84% of the population. So I've got some really good news for you today. You're rich. Like you woke up thinking like, man, I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm barely going to get by. And, but you didn't even know it, but you are rich. Like, I don't know when it happened, but you did step over the rich line. You are rich. Congratulations. Have you ever thought like, I can't wait till if I get older, I'm going to be rich. Like you've made it. You've reached that goal. Congratulations. You guys, you guys should congratulate yourselves for, for being rich. Well done. Well done. Well done. So Paul writes here. He writes here, he says, command the rich of this present age. So I've got a job to do. So the issue for us here in this room isn't, are you rich? The question is, what kind of rich are you? So he says, command the rich of this present age. So I've got a job to do. Paul here, uh, he's writing to a young, very, very young guy about my age. Uh, I turned 44 last uh, Wednesday. Uh, I know your gift's in the mail. I know it's in the mail, so I'll, I'll wait. The, um, he's a 44-year-old, and he commands them, uh, command these people in the present age, because Paul was in prison. Uh, he was in the twilight of his life. That was retirement for pastors back then. It's like you just were a pastor until they threw you in prison, and then you retired. And so that was where he was at. And he's like, you got to command them to do something. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do what Paul's telling me to do, which is to command us, the rich in this present age, to do some things, to do rich well. Because I don't think anybody in here says, you know what? You may have said before, I want to be rich. But you, you never, no one here probably says, I want to be greedy. Like nobody here wants to be greedy, do they? 
Okay, so, so this is going to help us, okay? How not to be greedy, how to do rich well. Here's the first thing he says. Tell them not to be haughty or prideful about their wealth. Don't take pride. Don't get your security from it. Don't let it be your chief joy and aspirations. In other words, our worth doesn't come from how much is in our bank account. Our worth comes from the cross, comes from the gospel. And that will lift lowered heads, and it will lower lifted heads. That's what it is. So if I came out here and I said, you know what? What, what you do for a living is insignificant. It's dumb. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Some of you would be like, thank God, because I, what I do is embarrassing. But some of you would be like, oh, wait a minute now. I've worked really hard to get where I'm at. I went to school for a really long time to do what I do. That's why the gospel, it lifts lowered heads, and it lowers lifted heads. That's what the half-brother of James is getting at. Half-brother of Jesus, James, I'm talking way too fast. Slow it down, Brian. I'm just so excited about football today, aren't you? Um, he says, let the, lowly brothers, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So there's an exaltation in the gospel that we, you know, those of us who, who feel like brought down by life, the gospel will bring you up. But then it says, and the rich in his humiliation. So the gospel confounds the wise. It confounds those who get pride and haughty. Oh, I'm, I'm somebody. I make money. So don't take, don't take price. If you want to not be greedy, if you want to do rich well, don't take pride in it. Um, Forbes puts out an annual list of billionaires every March, if you didn't know that. And I think it's kind of fun to look at the list. It's, you know, you see what people do and how much they make. And so I'm just going to show you, show you a few here. So you may not know this woman. Her name is Francois Myers, and she is the wealthiest woman in the world. She's the wealthiest woman. You know what she got her money from? Her dad uh, started a company, and she inherited it, and she's uh, the company L'Oreal. So I don't know if you're worth it, but she is really worth it. So she's... <laughs> She's worth it to the tune of about $54 million, billion, not million, billion, excuse me. i got to make sure I use that. Wealthiest woman in the world. So she wanted me to thank all of you for wearing her makeup. She asked me if I would do that today. So on behalf of her and her $54 billion, thank you. Thank you for buying her makeup. Okay. The next, oh, Mark Zuckerberg. He not only takes her money, he takes her time away too. And so he's, he is the Facebook guy. What he does is really important. And he's, he's, He's around $60 billion. Uh, we'll see what the government takes from him for fines. But right now, it's about $60 billion. Here is the wealthiest man in Mexico, Carlos. He, uh, and then the last person, there he is. You name, guessed it. Because nobody likes to shop. Nobody likes to shop. I mean, why would the, uh, the, why would the president CEO of, of Amazon have $131 billion. But before, hey, he's going to lose, he just got a divorce. He's going to lose about $50 billion. So don't, so he may not be number one next year. But right now, he's number one. So here's what we do when we look at lists like this. We look at this and like, look what they do and, and how much are they worth? And wow, isn't that fascinating? I just got, I got, I got some really better news for you. Is like what they do, what they do pales in comparison to the occupation that you have as a Christian. You are an ambassador for Christ. You represent the king of the universe. No one will remember 
him years from now, or her, or him, or him. But what you get to do is you get to represent the eternal God right here, right now. Here's something else. Let's talk about your worth. There's a lot of of billions going on over there. This is how much you're worth. You're worth the blood of Jesus. You you know, value is, comes from scarcity. You know how scarce the blood of Jesus is? There's only one person who could have died for you. And that one person did. His blood was, you see, you were bought with a price and there is no discrepancy. It was the value of Jesus Christ. And that ought to bless your heart. It's, it, ought to, it ought to lift all of our heads when we hear that. So don't set your hope. So don't, so, so don't be proud about your wealth. And it says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. So I came from the, uh, the world of economics. I, I was a finance major in college, and then I was a, worked in finance for, for six years. And it just, whew, you know, the, the economy, the markets, and all that, just up and down, up and down, up and down. It, it's, it's in what Paul's saying, just something very practical. Don't put your trust, don't put your hope in that, that what is unstable, but put your, put your, build your hope, build your faith, you know, have your faith and trust in what is stable. So like Jesus said something, I mean, almost identical to that. He says, don't build your house, your life on the sand, build it on the rock. Because when the storms come, if you build your life on sand, if you build your house on sand, uh, when they come, not if they come, but when they come, your, your house, your life will be swept away. So if you, want, if you want to do rich well, if you want to not fall into greed, you won't build your hope around it. You won't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Um, Jesus said to watch out for all kinds of greed, to be on your guard, to be aware. Now, most people think that greed is associated, it's, it's highly correlated to wealth. And uh, biblically, it, it doesn't mean if, you, you know, if you're wealthy, you're greedy. In fact, you can have very little and be greedy. In fact, Jesus tells a story once of, of uh, he gave one person five talents, two and one. The five obeyed Jesus, went out and made, turned the five into another five. Well done. The two did the same thing. To the one, either laziness, fear, or just flat out disobedience did nothing with it. And Jesus goes over and in the story takes it from the one and gives it to the 10, the guy who had 10. Just kind of like, what gives there? Well, the person who was greedy wasn't the one with 10. The one, the one who was greedy was the one who had one who valued what his life and he didn't want it disturbed. So greed is not measured by what you have or even what you want. Greed is measured by the price you are willing to pay to get it or to keep it. Greed is measured by the price you're willing to pay to get wealth or to keep wealth. And I've talked to people, you know, like college students who'd have like $100 in the bank. And I've talked to people who are like, you know, in their early 20s, they get their first kind of you know, real job, and they've got like $1,000 in the bank. And I've talked to other people, you know, a little bit older in life, and they've got maybe even like tens of thousands of dollars in the bank. And here's what's true. Even though the, the amounts are different in the bank account, here's what's true at every single one. Neither, none of them could imagine having anything less than that. It doesn't matter what the amount is. And what happens in that moment when you think, 
it's just like when you look up, oh, $5 million, oh my gosh, those people, they should have, they have money falling out of their pockets. They should be more generous. <coughs> friends, 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 we are the somebody else. We are the somebody else. Somebody looks at our life and says, man, you've got money falling out of your pockets. So it's not about wealth, though. It's about what you'll do to, to get it and to keep it. So what I don't want to be the result of this message is, number one, false guilt for having stuff, because that's not what makes you greedy. And I also don't want false condemnation either, looking at someone who has more and then saying, oh, they're greedy because they have more. It's not what makes us greedy. But it says, so don't, don't put your hope in that business, but, but put your hope in God. So don't put your help, hope in the uncertainty of riches, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything. Go ahead and underline that in your Bible. In fact, underline it in your friend's Bible or you know, click their phone or just... Make sure that they know that one. He put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything. A couple things here. Number one, we don't believe in a prosperity gospel that says that if you, if you really love God, he'll, you get more. And we don't believe in a poverty gospel that says if you really love God, you'll, you, know, you just have nothing. We believe in a provision gospel. It says, like, when we trust God, he, he provides for our needs. But to do rich well, that means that you have to see God as a source of everything. Like, you don't bring anything into the equation. Like, you, you, what you have isn't because you're, you're amazing. It's not because you studied really hard. It's not because you worked really hard. It doesn't. Everything that you have comes from God. No one in the womb. It's like, you know, please give me 21st century America. Thank you very much. Like, you weren't born in the rural hills of Southeast Asia. You were not born in Zimbabwe. You were born in the U.S. You don't, you, the brain that you have isn't, that wasn't your, you, you didn't cause that. God caused that. That ambition that you have, that, you know, the, you're savvy, you're a relational connector, you can sell anything. That comes from God, too. Everything comes from God. If you want to do rich well, you'll see that he is the source of all that you have. You'll see that he is the source of all that you have. So that means a couple different things. It means that our relationship to money changes. When you begin to see that God owns everything, your, your relationship to money will fundamentally change because you, you'll see yourself not as the owner, but the short-term custodian or steward of some stuff. Which means if you're, if you're not the owner and you are the custodian, that means that somebody else owns it. Which means that if you, if you really see somebody else owning it, that you're going to want to use that money the way the owner wants you to use the money. Not the way that you want to use the money. Because you're not the owner. The second thing is, is you'll probably uh, want to keep an account of that too. See, when I was a stockbroker, um, I invested, I had in my custody millions of dollars. And I, I could not just do, use that money any way that I wanted to. I couldn't use it for my own interest. I had to use it for the interest of the people who owned the money. Otherwise, I went to prison. <laughs> The other thing that I did is I was really, 
I kept a lot of notes and asked lots of questions. So when my first, I sit down with the person, the client, I'd ask them like tons and tons of questions that all were trying to get to what is this person's best interest. You see, if you see yourself as an as the owner, you won't ask God any questions because you own it. But if you see yourself as he, everything comes from him and you see yourself as a steward, he's the owner, you'll ask him some questions. Like, God, what, what kind of... What kind of a lifestyle would you like me to have? What kind of car should I buy? What kind of house should I buy? How should I spend this money? And here's the other thing you do. You'll keep track. Like, I never rocked up at a quarterly annual meeting of a client, and they're like, hey, so how'd you invest my money? And you're like, well, I never, never, ever said, well, I'm not really sure. I'm not really kind of the organized type. You know, I don't, I I just kind of like go with my gut. And like, you know, that's kind of, if I see something, I kind of like go with it and no, I didn't do that. I came in with charts and graphs, and I could tell them to the penny where it was and why it was. I mean, just practically, I mean, I'm going to use the B word here. A budget is, is like something you should pray about because, no, you shouldn't pray about it. You should do it because it is, it is not your money. If you gave someone, well, I won't even go there what you would do. It's Jesus. It's just what he says. There's like, I don't know how many parables. I should have counted them. Somebody can count for me later. There's so many parables that go something like this. I'm going to give you some stuff. And then I'm going to leave. And then I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I want to see what you did with it. That's true for every single one of us. So money is not in itself good or bad. It's just neutral, but it is a test. What's it a test for? What has your heart? Jesus said it over and over again. Luke, Luke 16, he says this. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth who, ent- who will entrust you to true riches, and we'll get back to that at the end of the message. And if you have not been faithful in what which is another's, there it is again. Unrighteous wealth is money. Another's, not yours. Who will give you, with, who will give you that which is your own? And then he says this. Here's why. No servant can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God money. So God says, here's some money. Here's a test. Do you want to serve me, or do you want to serve this? So God provides us with everything. So if we live this way, we'll live as though he owns everything. But check this out. He richly provides us with everything, one of which to enjoy. That might surprise you. It surprised me. I expected it to say, and set your hopes on God, who is more awesome than riches, which is true, but that's not what the text says. It says that we're meant to enjoy what God gives us. So we need to reject false guilt for having wealth and reject false condemnation for saying that person's greedy just because they have more than I do. It's just not true. One of the reasons why God gives us money is to enjoy it. Now, this is the point that people usually remember. This is like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a hold of that one. Like, I'm, I'm going to... I see a lot of people writing that one down. Like, I'm going to, you can't enjoy. It's good. Ecclesiastes 5.19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. It's not wrong to have stuff or we get in trouble is when stuff has us. And we don't see it as an opportunity to be grateful. It's not wrong to enjoy things. It's not wrong to enjoy things. It's wrong to forget where that enjoyment comes from. C.S. Lewis says, run up the sunbeam to the sun to praise the giver for the gift. 
And we can't think, and that's the whole point. We're, we're, meant to, we're not meant to get guilty about what we have, but we are meant to be grateful. It, it should roll it, itself up into worship. Not, so we, we ultimately prize who God is, but we also prize what he's done. I mean, we sing songs like this, like in, in, uh, in Psalm 139, marvelous are your works, O Lord, I know them well. So that's, that's a heart who knows that every perfect gift comes from God. Everything good comes from my God. Good comes from God, and so the what we ha- when we have when we get well, if we have wealth, yeah, we're, we can enjoy it. We shouldn't feel bad about that, but it should roll itself up uh, into worship to make sure that it doesn't get us. And so there's two ditches that you can fall in. One is asceticism, which we don't believe, which is like the more and you could read about this. Paul talks about it in Colossians two if you're interested, sixteen to twenty three, I think. Asceticism is like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to like not enjoy any, the material world at all. And the, the less I enjoy this world, um, the more holy I'll be. And there are a lot of people, there's some people who believe us. Now, that's a ditch you can fall into. We don't, we don't believe that. Now, there's another ditch that's a little bit more crowded. It's not asceticism, it's materialism. It's getting too much enjoyment out of the material world. Why does God give us the wealth that we have? I mean, that's a good question to ask. Why me? We ask that question when something bad happens, but you should ask it when something good happens. Why me? It's not because you're awesome. That's, that's being prideful in what we have. It's because he's awesome. Because he wants to see what's in our heart. It's a test. He wants us to, he wants he, the, the stuff that he gives us. He wants us to feel the weight of that. And like, what are we going to do with that? So Jesus says like, to, who much is given, much is required. So if you've got a lot, hey, no false guilt, no false condemnation. Those of us who are rich in the room that have more than most certainly 99% of the world, what are we going to do with that? What's our, how are we going to handle that? God's not playing games. He's left, but he's coming back. So we, 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 we see that we, we do enjoy things, but we have to be careful that they don't get... Because here's, the, the, the danger is, is, is the desire and what we're willing to give up to get it or to keep it. And so a lot of us walk around that we have in our mind all these files, and these files are labeled stuff... I can get if I was rich. And it's stuff that we write down or it's on our Pinterest board or it's, you know. And then we zoom back from that and we see that the file cabinet over our mind is actually, I want to be rich. And and what this passage is warning us very, very sharply, those who desire to be rich, so being rich in of itself, right? Not, Not a problem, not a problem if you have a lot of stuff, no false guilt, no false condemnation. What are you willing to give up to get it and to keep it? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I don't know all the implications, but that sounds bad. This, I mean, pangs, like what is in that word? I mean, like this is terrible, terrible stuff. Plunge people into ruin and destruction. Money isn't good or bad. It's a test. It's desiring to be there. So which brings me to the last point, or there's two more, but this point here is is really how we do battle with this. 
So we shouldn't, the last command that, that Paul tells Timothy to give, the command, he says, be generous. To do lots of good works. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Because if I had to guess, most of us would, would feel generous because our heart goes out to people. But can you write the check? Will you, will, will, will you allow yourself to do that? So I was taught, I had, a couple years ago, I had conversation with two people on two opposite ends of the spectrum, all in, in the matter of a month. Because here's the thing, here, the, the lie that we tell ourselves that we often believe is I'll be generous when. I'll be generous when. I'll be generous when I, get a, when I make more, you know, those people who make all, those mon- all that money, I'll be generous when I'm, when I'm there. Um, truth is, you won't. And there's a lot of stats that, actually, statistically, the more money you make, the less that you give. And I had, a, uh, I had two conversations within the course of a month with two very different people. I just had a conversation with one guy. He made $250,000 a year. He uh, was coming to me because he was stressed about finances. No false condemnation. And I just asked him, I said, well, how much are you giving? And he says, I'm, you know, I know I should, but I'm not giving anything right now. He's, I've got this, the house, and he had a very nice house, and his car, and kids and education, and, and he'd been a Christian a while, and just like, I just can't figure out how to do it. Some of you, you may not make 250, but you feel that way about the 50 that you make, or the 75 that you make, or the 25 that you make. It doesn't matter what the number is. I will find someone who makes half as much as you who is generous. So money is not the equation. It's not the, it's not the determinant factor. It's what it's what's in your heart to do. So I had another conversation with a guy, some very differently. He came to me about money as well. He made $30,000. But his issue was much different. His issue was, I feel like I'm supposed to give away a third, a $10,000 a year for the next three years. Am I crazy? No, you're not. Two very different conversations. The rubber hits the road. And, and here's the thing. This is a great opportunity for me to tell you, to remind us that God doesn't just arbitrarily command us to do things because he can. And oh, by the way, he can. But he tells us, everything that he tells us to do is for our good. If there's a command in the Bible, it is it is for our good. He even says, like, you earthly fathers, like, you know how to give good gifts. And you're, you're imperfect. Like, I can honestly say everything that I do for my, do, say to my kids and tell my kids what to do. And like all of that, all that coming from a heart that loves them. Now, I'm imperfect. I get it wrong. Like, you know, 
like a half percent of the time, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to use percentages, but I, I don't. I, I feel like I did. I get it right. Okay. But God is perfect. God is perfect. He does everything in everything He gives us. And so when He tells us to be generous, He's trying to bring something good into our life. And so um, oftentimes we'll, we'll baptize people and we'll put these stories up and we'll tell the story. And as the story is being told, I'm looking at you. And here's what's going on. You're tearing up. You're full of joy. And you may not be thinking this, but if you're, especially if you're, like you're, those of us who give, like, man, like you, you have this thought of like, man, I, I contributed to that. And that joy that you have and that, and that feeling that you have, like, isn't that like way better than a Netflix subscription? Like, isn't that way better than heated seats versus not heated seats? Like, isn't that, like, what did you spend your money on five years ago? The answer is, I have no idea because in a trash heap, everything that you have and love today will be in the trash five years from now. Or your wife won't let you wear it. One of the two. So you, either, way, either way, you're throwing it out. So either way, it's not. But here's the point. The point is what you get. What the, 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 when God invites you to be generous, he allows you to invest in what is eternal. And it has, a, it has a joy that just rolls over and rolls over. And when you get to heaven, like your mind is just going to be blown away. So you got to keep this. You got to, in order to keep greed on its heels in a way, like you, the only way to actively fight it is actually to, to give it away. And the reason why, and I, and I love you, and I, I'm only saying this because I love you. If you cannot give it away, it's because somehow, some way, greed has gotten a hold of your heart. Nobody's going to follow you around after today and ask you this question, but you got to determine in your, in, in, between you and God, like if you cannot give it away at some level, your desire to get it or to keep it has gotten away. So you have to do something active and proactive to be generous. So that, so that, so that, this is the last one so that you can take a hold of what is truly life. And that's the point. There is a life out there. There's life out there that you, can, that you can have if you don't let money have you. Um, how many here know who, who Tom Brady is? Raise your hand. Okay. So I'll explain. For those who don't know uh, who Tom Brady, Tom Brady, he is a, a Super Bowl winner. Uh, he won. In fact, I, I, in the 9 a.m., it was five Super Bowls, but between now and then, it's become six. And so, yeah, who knows? He may win another one today. Who knows? So he's got six Super Bowls, all right? And this is what he said. He said this is dated, okay? What, what do, what do, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. Here's the thing. He's got six Super Bowl rings. He's worth upwards of $200 million. They will one day build a statue outside Gillette Stadium of Tom Brady. Um, he's, I mean, there's only a handful of people in the world who could play this sport in any given year and play this position, quarterback. It's a very unique position. 
and an even smaller portion of them, even a smaller portion of them could win a Super Bowl as a quarterback. There's only been one quarterback in the history of the world who's won six. In fact, there's no one who's even won five. He's like, he is, it's fair to say he is the best quarterback who's ever lived. They did an entire 30, 30, uh, 30 for 30 uh, ESPN show where they went through the entire draft, the year he was drafted. And the whole point of this show was to shame every team who didn't, Tom, who didn't draft Tom Brady. Like, that was the whole point. Like, how could you be so stupid not to draft this guy? There were little boys yesterday out in the backyard all over America throwing the football to each other with Tom Brady jerseys on the back. And they were like dreaming about the day that they could be like Tom Brady. No offense, but nobody was doing that for you yesterday. Like nobody was like, man, the way that he fills out that expense report, like I really want to like do that when I get older. I'm just, it's really obvious point here. And that is this guy's at the top. Like nobody else, nobody else in what he does is any higher. Um, he's up there. And he says, is this it? Is this it? I've given up my life for this. And this is it. There's only one thing that will cause your soul to say, I am truly satisfied. And that is when you have Jesus. He's the only thing that will satisfy your soul. The psalmist says it this way in in chapter 16, verse 5 through 6. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And no matter, here's the good news. No matter where you find yourself economically, you have this, you, you can grab a hold of what is truly life if you grab a hold of Christ. If you grab a hold of, if you say, yes, he is my portion. I don't, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't want anything else. I just want him. I don't want this job. I don't want this money. It's not, it's not if I get to this level of income. He wants to protect you. He doesn't want to keep you from something. He wants to keep something from getting you. Why don't we stand?